Hello, I'm Andrew Davidson. I'm the National Head of Employment at Hemsons, and we are delighted to be sponsoring the Rising Star Award. This is an important award that recognises the contribution of up-and-coming workforce practitioners. Our three Rising Star finalists who are joining us today are Yinka Iwu, who is the Head of Equality, Diversity and Inclusion at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust. And I'm going to read a little bit from each of the submissions just to give the listeners a sense of who each individual is. Um, our Yinka has had an immeasurable impact on the equality, diversity and inclusion strategic direction for the Trust. She constantly strives to improve internal practices, advocating inclusion at the centre. She's been exceptional at building relationships and helps educate others on a wide range of EDI improvements. So that's our first guest, Yinka. Um, second guest is Saab Burke, who is the Diversity and Inclusion Lead at Southern Health NHS Foundation Trust. And her submission says that she's a dynamic, professional, humorous and influential leader of inclusion. Despite being just two years into her NHS career, Saab express, uh, expertly hosts board seminars, impacts across the trust system, designs and delivers powerful ally programs, and I'll talk a little bit about that with her shortly, um, leads complex casework and deeply supports the trust diverse communities. She's simply indispensable to the organisation. So that's Saab. And then our third guest is um, Richard Bernal, who is the Organisation and People Development Specialist at Sandwell and West Birmingham NHS Trust. Richard has recognised the needs of those working within the organisation and beyond. He developed and implemented a number of support mechanisms, making a huge impact on the mental well-being of his colleagues and staff in organisations around him. Richard has shown drive and determination when it comes to leading the way in tackling mental well-being issues that his colleagues face on a daily basis. So those are our guests um, today. And I'm going to start by um, asking you, Yinka, just a little bit about your background and your experience in the NHS and your current role. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you do? Yeah, so I'm quite new to the NHS. I've only been in role for two years now, so my first NHS role. Um, my background is EDI, so I've got almost 10 years experience in working in equality and diversity across different sectors and different industries. Um, in this current role, I lead and I have um, helped the trust to build its first function in equality, diversity and inclusion. So I lead a team of three um, and delivering on workforce issues in relation to diversity and inclusion. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, now we go to Saab. Just give us a little bit of background. Thanks, Andrew. So, hello, my name is Saab Burke. Um, so I've grown up in Southampton and I studied for my law degree here as well and actually the legal practice course as well. Um, and I've always been really passionate about the human about human rights, standing for equality um, and supporting and providing a platform for people where there is in injustice. So I began my career in the private sector um, as actually a different role to ED&I, um, but that's where I got more involved in ED&I work and led the region on um, a diversity and inclusion week, which I helped set up. And the agenda for etc. It was the first ever diversity and inclusion week in that organisation um, but it involved the content for the day etc as well and that's where I really grew my passion because people started coming to me with their uh, problems or anything that they felt that was happening in the workforce that they um, you know wanted to sort of get my um, uh, my um, input on or my sort of views on. Um, so I then started um, working for the NHS um, the public sector in 2019, so just over two years ago, um, and as a diversity and inclusion lead, and I was promoted to the head of diversity and inclusion um, after just two years. So um, I've now um, sort of 
work as the head of diversity and inclusion. So. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sab. And Richard, over to you. So hi, I'm Richard. Um, I work in um, organisational development, which kind of, if, if people aren't familiar with that, it's like a cross between learning and development and human resources. Um, I've been in my current post for only two years, but I've been in the NHS for 12 years. And prior to that, I used to be a police officer, actually. So we've got two people, Andrew and Saab, with law degrees and a police officer in the room. So it's so a curious combination of people here. Um, but yeah, I, um, I initially joined the NHS for nine years worked mainly around managing violence and aggression with staff and a conflict resolution model but I realized that that often overlaps you can't have like kind of like how to manage the public without also how to manage the staff like it takes its toll on us if we're getting very um you know, kind of like stressed and and receiving a lot of abuse and aggression and I moved into this OD kind of specialist practitioner role um, and then over COVID kind of hit and there was a lot of work there around how we're going to look after our staff and keep them from this you know, sort of dreadful burnout that, that people are experiencing. So, yeah, my role kind of focuses on a very wide range of things in that regard. Fantastic. Thank you, all of you. That's a, that's a really good overview of, of, of what you do. The, the the first substantive question I wanted, I'm going to direct it at you, Saab, if I can. Um, and I think it's something that's, that's apparent from all of your submissions, uh, and that is that you've had to get buy-in from senior members within the organisation and board members and so on. So my question is, how, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about getting people at the senior level interested in the projects that you think are important? Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. So um, in order to get that, so into the requirement of the equality standards, so we do have leadership modules um, which are de delivered and available in the Trust. The Trust Board hold an annual leadership development festival, so that's a week-long seminars um, which are um, aimed at leadership, including inclusive leadership, etc. as well, and they are designed and delivered by those senior leaders. Um, we've had board seminars, so I designed a full day's board seminar on DNI and invited members of our staff networks to talk about their experiences. Um, we use staff stories on that day and date and we always use a data led approach as well um, that includes health inequalities and workforce data. Um, we then had a stakeholder event in the afternoon uh, with action planning, which was led by the trust board and senior leadership team. Uh, we've also had the launch of the equality standards. So what I've designed is a set of metrics, bronze, silver and gold, which um, at the end of this month, um, straight beginning of October, we'll be launching. But I've had all the divisional directors, all the senior leaders um, have a really heavy input. So going to their team meetings, talking to them about um, what the EDNI work is, where our data is, what their individual divisional data tells us as well and where we can do. We, I've also designed some um, divisional away days, so um, uh, which will be all inclusion based so we've got five divisions at Southern House so the first one will be in November and um, which will talk about um, their divisional data the health inequalities around the local area population and then it will be about group work and how we can improve that etc um, and then also um, I've also been approached by senior leaders so the divisional directors to do um, inclusion reviews um, which have been commissioned by those divisional directors as well so it's really about getting involved in their meetings I have monthly meetings with our chair as well so she's very passionate about diversity and inclusion and we have chats and talk about where we are what we're doing etc as well um, our um, work, director of workforce organizational development and communications Paul Draycott he's a trustee of Chrysalis which is a local charity so I have a lot of support and I know there's a lot of passion there from my leadership that you know hold me accountable which is rightly so and 
we have lots of conversations about diversity and inclusion, always putting it on our Twitter feed, etc, keeping it alive, really, the work about diversity and inclusion. And he won an award with Stonewall as well, which who were a charity for. Um, but his work with trust with um, Chrysalis allows us to use them um, to do gender pronoun sessions because they're a transgender charity and also um, sessions around inclusion for those that are transitioning. Fantastic. Um, lots of lots of ideas, I think, in terms of how to, uh, you know, involve people at senior level. I was just going to say, I think the board seminar would be my biggest thing. I think so. We're planning another one now, but the one that we did um, a couple of years ago, I think that was really great because that allowed them all to be allies that told them about the inclusion work that we're doing. And that sort of brought the buy in. We knew where some of them were from different diverse communities. So we've used them for bulletins, for um, um, for uh, briefings, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as well. So, yeah, blogs. Sorry, that's what the word I was going to use. So, yes, blogs, blogs yeah. etc., as well. We've gone on radio with them to just really highlight how really passionate we are about inclusion and getting a representative workforce. Fantastic, uh, Yinka. What's your experience been? Has it been similar? Have you got other things that you've done in terms of getting a buy-in? Yeah, so um, starting this role and really building the function from scratch may, has meant that um, you, I've had to engage with the board and speak the board's language. And what I mean by that is understand uh, what their understanding of EDI is. The metrics are there in terms of it's very clear. We, we report on model employers, we report on the workforce race equality standard, the workforce disability standard, but how does that translate? And so for me, it was understanding the different board stakeholders that we have. So for instance, our chief exec is very focused on understanding the metrics. So speaking that language when I'm presenting why um, there is a problem and what issues we want to challenge and why the initiatives that um, we've developed over the last 18 months will work in improving that. Also, it's engaging um, and it's getting them to understand that EDI doesn't just sit with me, that there is ownership at all levels and all areas and it's getting that engagement. But it's also telling a story, telling a story about what the journey will look like, why it, there will not be any short term fixes to, to things. What are the quick wins that we can gain? The things that will have an impact on people now, such as some of the toolkits that we've designed, um, some of the training and development modules we've put in place, but the long-term wins. Getting, I think the key thing for me around the board engagement has been the board sponsorship of all of um, our employee groups and ensuring that the basics are right. So getting um, board level sponsors for our disability network, our BAME network, all of the networks have a sponsor. And then having that clear oversight at the EDI committee where scrutiny takes place of our EDI work programme. So it gives the uh, executives as well as colleagues that are on that committee a chance to scrutinise the work programme that I'm delivering. But being very mindful that some of the work that I do may not be delivered directly by me, but they may be delivered by my colleagues in PNOD that I work with. So our learning and development team, our recruitment team in terms of the work um, we're doing around inclusive 
inclusive recruitment and it's how I influence but influence in a way that I'm leading people on that journey of where we're trying to get to and where possible I'm, I'm taking some of that workload so um, if I'm saying this is the outcome where I know that my expertise can have some influence I'm I'm going in and I'm, I'm saying well our team will lead on this we'll come back and we'll move it forward because I find when you want to engage with any leader there is a bit of give and take you have to build the relationships build the understanding but once you've got that and built a reputation on delivering on what you're talking about and showing the outputs you get that buy-in consistently and I find now um, although the doors were open when I first started with um, the roles you know I've got doors open to our chief nurse to the chief exec to the divisional directors um, and speaking to them about what they can be doing on EDI so the ownership doesn't just sit with me and what I'm delivering it sits with them and looking at what they could be doing absolutely it sits with them and what they could be doing apologies no problems yeah thank you that's awesome thank you um richard in terms so, of buy-in hmm very interesting listening to you guys actually um kind of like thinking i'm glad it's not just me that has to go through so many hoops to get things achieved in in kind of big organizations my starting point in this i always like to identify kind of there's three separate concepts there's power authority and influence and power is obviously who's got the control and that doesn't always align with who has authority so you may come across a group in the the, the kind of overall uh, structure of the organization where the official lead for the service is quite indecisive but the deputy will make decisions so don't worry about getting permission from the the top person just go to the deputy get get some nod get some buy-in from them and then i try and get quick buy-in and then I use their name. So I'll go like, well, you know, Paul's in on this, the deputy chief nurse, he's a big fan of it. Could we get something going? And I usually then go down the route of seeking forgiveness rather than permission. So for example, like a big email reduction strategy, huge amount of, of stress and like, you know, lack of, um, or, or, you know, lack of sleep literally owing to emails. So rather than try and get permission to get to this the, the hot way, I know the director of informatics, um, he's very, very um, charming, charismatic and persuasive. I know he'll take this to the board if I do the groundwork for him. So I'll uh, speak to Martin. Martin, you called for me to try this. I'll go, I paid £99 out of my own pocket to do a survey, monkey survey. I'll get that back. But if I try to get permission to get the NHS for £99 up front, I'll fill out about 600 forms. So it's sometimes a case of just be a bit be a bit cheeky almost. I also follow people on social media um, who's passionate about what. Uh, and then you know kind of what their hot buttons are. I use that to make connections. And I also think you've got to make connections across. So nursing, there's therapies, there's medicines. You've got to know a lot of people in a lot of different places. And when you do, you can use their names. You can start getting projects kind of like, um, what's the word? Micro versions, uh, test versions, pilot versions rolled out. And then you can use the data from those pilot versions, then go back to the board and say, hey, look what we're doing. It's really good. We've already got data to prove this is working. And then from there you can start to um yeah you can start to make real headway so i've learned over the years it's it's a bit of a, a political um forest that you have to negotiate and navigate sometimes to make change on the kind of the areas that us guys work in some great ideas there across the board in terms of buy-in um and how to do that so that's really really practical and really useful as well actually so that's that's really helpful thank you um, I'm going to go back to you, Richard. I know we've just been talking, but let's go back to you, Richard, for, for another question, which is, um, I, I think something which comes out of 
all of the submissions is that you have this passion and a motivation to achieve your objectives. It's really apparent from the submissions. So my question is, how do you how do you do that? Because, of course, particularly at the moment, we've gone through a difficult time for the NHS. It's, well, it's always a difficult time for the NHS, isn't it? But certainly at the moment, it's been difficult. How do you, how do you keep that motivation to improve? How do you keep your own personal motivation? How do you keep that? Starting with you, Richard, what do you what do you do? So it's it's a question actually that I sometimes just take for granted my motivation. But when I really think about it, I think the real thing is I get a sense of achievement in my role. I can see making a difference. And I think as long as you can um, sort of see yourself kind of going from here's an idea to seeing an outcome from it, that's that's quite a rewarding process. Um, people generally like what I do. I'm very lucky. So I'm a qualified mediator, for example. So if two staff members aren't getting on and they're having a terrible time at work and I come in, there's a lot of stress in there. But at the end, they're incredibly grateful to me for what I do. So I don't have to make too many unpopular decisions and I don't have to make too many hard choices. I often get to do stuff that, although it's hard work to do, it's very rewarding and sees positive outcomes. And that kind of fuels you for the next thing that you move on to. So in my case, I find it kind of relatively straightforward to be motivated because I see a direct link between my efforts and my outcomes. Thank you. Yinka, how do you stay motivated? My motivations um, are in two parts, really. I've always had an interest in corporate social responsibility or inclusion and diversity. Um, I did a master's in it. When I did my undergrad, my dissertation was on unethical practices of organisations. So it's a strong grounding for me in this area. But I'm also motiv by, motivated by the stories. Um, so the stories around employee relations cases, I'm motivated by, motivated by the clinical staff who come to speak to me, who know my door is open where there are challenges that are occurred. And, and because of them, I, I'm always motivated that I know this is a journey that we're on, but it's an important journey. I'm, I'm motivated to see the inclusive practices and the outcomes that we get. Um, I'm also motivated by our patients as well, because I believe, I strongly believe that if you get EDNI right within your workforce, you will ultimately improve the outcomes of the patients in which we are here to serve. And so all of that really motivates and drives me. So whenever there's a day that um, I might do a bit of engagement or there's an area that I want to push on and I can't quite quite push push through on that day to get what I want in terms of my outcome. I am um, I motivate myself thinking about all of those factors. And also just um, I am a woman who is um, I'm a black woman. I have a disability. I'm dyslexic. And so I'm, I, there's motivations behind that in terms of my kids and wanting a society that is inclusive for them to to come in and practice um, within. Um, and so all of those things, those factors, which is a long list, do motivate me and keep me in the game and keep me committed to to this area and this industry. Thank you. Saab, what motivates you? Um, thanks, Andrew. So I would say certainly my colleagues um, and those senior leaders that we talked about earlier, um, we have, for example, five priority projects. So what I've done is five areas that we really want to prioritise this year um, since last year. So we've been working on it in rolling 12 months, which at the end of this year, hopefully we'll be able to um, obviously we will be able to um, sort of uh, report upon where we are. So those priority projects, uh, one of those, for example, is led by Daisy Madoni, which is server user experience. So around um, the experience, so for example, 
example, if you're uh, black, you're four times more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act under Section 136. So Daisy Madoni, our Deputy Director of Nursing, um, she is a senior member of staff from the black community and she leads on those. And I really feel that her, as well as my chair, as well as um, our directors, um, my colleagues, uh, yeah, they're all my colleagues, but um, the staff that come to me with their issues, etc., they really, really do motivate me to continue, but also our allies. Um, so the ally programme that I've been delivering in the ICS, with the, within our ICS as well, and it's been used by different trusts, um, that really has shown that lots of allies are coming forward when there's issues and I, I want to get to obviously a stage where st more staff are coming forward as well but however uh, my allies really motivate me because they actually show that it is a it is a fight and we all recognize the fight and the injustices that people face but actually um you know for them to come forward and speak and say we've seen this happen we've seen this happen I think that really really does help me in the work that I'm doing and think right we, we need to get there so it's certainly my colleagues um the allies the Vox Pop Network co-chairs that um I set up last year so yeah certainly yeah and those outcomes really um so we were high for disciplinaries um last year on our res this year we've managed to reduce that to almost half of what we were so for BAME so black if you're a black member of staff you were more likely to be under a disciplinary compared um, black Asian minority ethnic compared to white um so we've reduced that by almost half so those outcomes I think really do carry on motivating me as well absolutely and staff stories absolutely Thank you very much. Well, the, the final part of the, our discussion is uh, I've got a question for each of you from your submissions. And actually, uh, it's a nice little, uh, a nice little uh, transition because um, I was going to ask you, Saab, about the Ally Network and why it's so important and um, why you've chosen that as being something for you to, to progress and to develop. Thank you. So um, back in November 2019, when we held our board seminar, um, we did an ally session and they were all like this. It was all around becoming an ally, the importance of being an ally, empowering others around you to become an, an ally and learning the importance of being an ally in the workplace. So it's all about recognising one, one's own privileges and supporting colleagues. Um, and then it became a session that was held for teams. And then when last year around the COVID inequalities and we learned about the different demographics and how it was affecting different people and also around Black Lives Matter, where lots of people were coming to us with um, their stories and it gave them that empowerment to do so. It became apparent that actually a lot of people just not just but need that empowerment to speak up so the ally session then became a monthly run session from about june time um, and it was a sign uh, an individual sign-on session so you can enter the session and it's a two and a half hour program where we talk about allies the importance of them and they get given a badge to wear with pride afterwards which was designed by our, by our staff network so our staff networks design this black and white for racism six colours for LGBT, purple for disability. Um, and then other trusts, when I go to divisional meetings, etc., they started asking me about this programme. So um, I designed it and um, I then delivered it as sort of train the trainer. So other trusts are now using it. Um, but I think from this session, um, we've more than 10% of our staff at Southern Health are now allies. It's not mandatory to sign on, but it's great to know that so many people want to be allies. And certainly the number of cases that we've reported that are reported, um, the number of people that are involved in our Vox Pop networks, etc., has increased, I would say, a lot to do with the ally programme. Yeah. Fantastic, thank you. And um, Richard, for, for me, one of the things that I was interested in in particular in your submission was the recharge booth. Can you tell me a little bit about the recharge booth and how that works? Um, it was an idea 
that was um, developed between myself and some people um, working in our governance team, actually. Um, and it was around, there's so many, oh, just forgive me, but cliches around, like, let's let's buy a massage chair that 0.001% of your staff will ever get to sit in. I'm not saying for that 0.01% is not a good thing, but it's just not widely accessible. So we want to just do something that people could access. It would be easy to access and it might be meaningful. So when we thought it through, we thought, well, if it's an hour and a half online, people aren't going to get there. So we we kept it to like 20 minutes, um, knowing it probably be 30 minutes because you know what online meetings are like by the time people have logged in. But we kind of set it from and we, we looked at timings and we decided two till 2.20 on a Thursday. I can't remember our rationale behind that, but we looked at availability and on the places staff might get there. And then we just have a theme for each week. And the theme wasn't to discuss feelings because you don't have time to kind of go into that on a group session. It was more just to have a sense of solidarity. So what I'm going through right now is and describe kind of the, the situation. And other people say, yes, we're going through that too. And that's a very simple version. But essentially, that was the purpose of it was just so that you knew you weren't the only one struggling. You know, for example, like, gosh, it's really hard because relatives want to be in the hospital but can't be there. And it's really causing a lot of stress. Yeah, we're getting that. And whether you're dealing with older adult care, or paediatric care or you know like inpatient outpatient people could kind of have that sense of solidarity they're all going through something together so that's kind of what we what we focused on there and it was um it was very enjoyable while we while we ran it kind of during the covid period great stuff thank you um and finally uh yinka the thing that i was particularly interested i was interested in of course the whole submission but but the caliber leadership program um in particular seemed to me to be um a very interesting uh, development. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's um, improved experience? Yeah, so um, I'm really, it's one of the projects I'm really um, excited about out of the pieces of work that I, I do, because I think it's really important and it was really nice to hear from my colleague about the Allies programme and the fact she's done the train the trainer. I'm keen for things not to just emulate in your trust but emulate all over all over places and so um i went to the london edi team looking for funding on this particular program to deliver at imperial um and and this program um focuses on enabling disabled talent it it's giving those um colleagues who have a disability the voice to speak out to join um the networks and it's over four modules it's delivered by um someone called dr ozzy stewart who i've worked with in a previous live so i've seen how this program has a massive impact on voices on promotions of colleagues from disabled backgrounds or them thinking about what does my career look like in the organization that i'm working for and how can i move forward so the program's currently running at imperial but um, over the five ICSs across London, we've got 10 trusts that are participating on that programme and I'm coordinating it and, and running it. And the impact so far and the engagement from our colleagues from disabilities has been has been brilliant. I've I've had so so much great feedback personally from them about how this has empowered me, how it's made me think about what it, what are the steps for my career going forward. Colleagues saying to me that there is a place for them here at Imperial, and so for me that's a really powerful takeaway to know that this particular program is going to have an impact on the career journey of staff who have disabilities with us at Imperial, but not just Imperial. It's going to have an impact at Guys and St Thomas is it's going to have an impact at Royal Marsden 
all of those areas of all those participants that will be on that programme, it will empower them to want to talk, to speak up openly without fear, but also want to look at what their career is going to look like going forward and, and where they want to make their next steps. And so for me, I think that's one of the reasons why that particular programme I'm hugely proud of, because I can see the reach and impact that it, it has. And also I can see that not just from London, there's been colleagues nationally talking about how can we use this programme um, to empower people. And a lot of people have come to me and said, oh, Yinka, can I have Aussie's details? Um, is that going to be a problem? But for me, it's not a problem. It's share the learning, share the experience. We really can move this agenda forward um, as a collective and not just as one body. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you all for your time. It's been a really interesting discussion. One of the things that's come out of the session, I think, is um, the, the passion that all of you have for the projects and the things that you're taking forward, which is um, incredible and some really practical uh, steps as well and some of your own experiences, which has been great. And I should say congratulations to all of you because you've got through to this stage. All of your submissions were amazing, fantastic. Um, and we look forward to hearing a lot more from you in the future, but also at the award ceremony, uh, which is coming up shortly. So thanks again. Thanks very much. Congratulations. Um, and thanks for spending time talking to me today. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you.